Welcome to Season 7 of Beyond the Jargon, a conversation with grad students about their research journey here at the University of Victoria from CFUV 101.9 FM. This episode was created on the traditional territory of the Songhees, Eskimos, and West Sandwich peoples, whose historical relationships with the land continue to this day. I am your host, Taiwo Afolabi. So welcome to the new another edition of Beyond the Jargon. Today I'm with uh, Leon Yuling. Uh, she is a PhD candidate at the Department of uh, Political Science here at the University of Victoria. It's good to have you today, uh, Ling. Thanks, Taiwo. So uh, you jokingly telling us about your research and just to kind of give it a good start. What what's your research about? My research is basically about rethinking the idea of care in Singapore society, not just from the, not just about the country where I come from, but the world in general. However, in my own limited capacity, I'm going to focus my work in my own country. So basically, my project focuses on foreign domestic workers in Singapore. Uh, we are talking specifically about the section of foreign domestic workers who perform work for who care for senior citizens in institutional homes like old folks homes or hospitals so if i may ask you so why what why why elders well that's a very good question uh a lot of people have asked me that and i think it's very important uh because elders are actually a very vulnerable vulnerable population and the interesting thing to note here is that society has many different ways of calling this section of people but what we really mean is that this group of people are dependent and increasingly they are actually framing old people as a burden on society in terms of tax draining or wasted resources especially at the expense of the young when increasingly societies worldwide are facing decreasing population growth, basically. So there's a very strong personal element to this as well. Just a few years ago in 2017, my grandfather actually fell gravely ill. It was very, very sudden. And I was overseas in England at that time. And my family actually didn't really let me know a lot about it because they didn't want me to worry. And by the time the worst happened, it was actually too late and they didn't really inform me well about it but it's all motivated by love so i do understand where they're coming from and i know that this kind of experience is very common to many students who are studying overseas and away from the personal element the larger society has treated elderly more and more cruelly i find in singapore you find many articles about increasing rates of the elderly dying alone at home or children abandoning them. And this problem isn't just in Singapore. Even in Canada, uh, you look at the number of Filipino caregivers around you and the crisis of elder care in general. I feel that there's something larger that can connect us all. So in terms of um, focusing on the elderly it's mainly because 
they are an extremely vulnerable population and the injustice is that they have actually done a lot for society before they actually fell ill and I feel that the younger and middle-aged people are actually more and more incapable of recognizing that ethical contribution of the elderly and what they have contributed to us and it's very sad that you look around nowadays in Singapore and it's very common to find old folks in institutional homes who have gone years without even seeing any of their relatives or family members. What's the connection of your work to Canada, for example, and of course, when it's Victoria? Yes. So in terms of the connection, I've actually been struggling myself to articulate the connection clearly. But what I see is that in Canada, in Vancouver especially, and in Victoria, you have a large number of foreign caregivers, especially nurses, and a very large section are from, are from the Philippines. In Singapore as well, the majority of foreign caregivers are from the Philippines. And interestingly, when you interview them, a lot of them say that Singapore is a transit point for the North. So I mean the North in a very general sense from what we know as referring to North America, Canada, or countries of the West as a general category. And I find it very interesting because the connection seems to me to be the idea of being modern or being developed because it's an irony as well because Singapore was a British colony. And as we know, Canada is also a land where the colonizer society has settled. And in terms of the populations that are imported over to do the so-called dirty work of care, uh, a lot from a lot come from other parts of Southeast Asia. So we were just talking about the Philippines, and I'm not sure about Victoria, but in Singapore, also a very significant section comes from Vietnam, India, Thailand, and other parts of Southeast Asia, but. The connection, the largest connection seems to me to be the section of Filipino caregivers uh, who are preferred for their so-called affinity for caring for senior citizens. And I find that in terms of how the care migrants themselves articulate their own position, it's very interesting to see how they frame Singapore as a transit point to more modern societies. Interesting. And, and he just raised the idea of uh, uh, the migrant workers themselves. So, which which goes to my next question, I'm kind of wondering why. So, why migrant workers? Why are you interested in migrant workers? Um, you know, the Singaporeans or the Filipinos or other Vietnamese. Why are you interested in that population for your research? Migrant workers, especially for me, uh, I feel that it's very important to examine the idea of being human in terms of uh, nationality because I find that both in Singapore and in Canada, when we talk about human rights or the people who should matter, uh, we kind of subconsciously go back to the country we come from. So, oh, this is a Canadian thing. This is a Singaporean thing. And of course, this kind of language is very common in speaking to our friends every day. But there's actually a very dangerous element to it because this way of 
these ways of talking and thinking actually have very real implications for the policies that we end up making. And we see that happening to our migrant population. So both in Singapore and in Victoria and many other countries in the world, uh, you have an, a population who has become very developed and very well educated so that they find the work of construction and care too demeaning for them. And they kind of resort to importing foreign labor from overseas. And these populations are seen as particularly suited for that so-called lower class care. And you see this in interviews when you talk to Singaporeans and Canadians about the workers that they have at home. They actually frame them in terms of national stereotypes, especially in terms of, oh, the Philippines, people from the Philippines have a natural cultural like inclination towards caring for people more. And it's also because they tend to have lower levels of education. And it's very easy to go into that kind of mindset without being aware that maybe your own society or your own ancestors were actually colonizers who made the migrant populations what they were. So uh, 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 a bigger question uh, that I think our listener would really love to, to, to kind of, you know, understand would be, what do you hope to, you know, what do you hope to come out of this research? I think that's a key question. I mean, in terms of at the end of this research, what do you want people to know or your, you know, your readers or listeners or whoever that's going to pick in your research to read or to hear? You want to share with us what, what this matters to you and what you want them to get out of the research or what you hope to learn out of the research? Yeah, so my personal goal for this research is to improve the social justice outcomes for this section of migrant workers in Singapore. So my research is actually basically centered around political organization for migrant workers in terms of uh, the sec. Of course, I'm going to find people, the migrant workers in Singapore who are willing to participate in this. And after being in Singapore for almost all of my life, really, I know that there are migrant workers in Singapore who would be interested in cooperating with me for political organization. And my hope is that perhaps we could make like a project or a document depending on how my participants want to do this thing uh, and present it to someone in the government or someone who is involved in policy making so that they can at least consider the perspectives and voices of migrant workers towards care. Uh, right now, the policies towards immigrants are very demeaning because they have many kinds of visa types and many kinds of rules and regulations around the discipline of migrant workers. And within the position of migrants, I would say that the section that I'm interested in, which is foreign caregivers, are actually the lowest in the rank because they are not allowed uh, to bring family members over. They are not allowed to get pregnant in Singapore. They are not allowed to get citizenship or permanent resident status. They are not allowed all sorts of things that what we see normal humans would deserve. So my aim is basically through this project to find a group of migrant workers who would be very passionate about improving social justice outcomes and using me as a Singaporean citizen and a very active organizer actually in my own society as kind of like a maybe a platform to improve the 
their arguments to the government, basically. So uh, I, I, I mean, I find your work really fascinating. I would want you to really take us through the process of your research. How do you plan to do it? You were talking about, you know, going back to Singapore, organizing, you know, talking to immigrant workers. What's the process of your research? Yeah, so in terms of the process of my research, uh, it's not really a concrete or solid plan just yet because I've just embarked on the PhD and uh, in terms of the proposal, I'm still doing my comprehensive exams, so I'm not actually defending or anything yet, but I have very clear ideas of how I would start. I would begin with my own personal and informal network. So my dad and my family has some connections to a lot of charities and old folks homes in Singapore. And I know a lot of people who are working for migrant organizations and working for institutional elder care centers. Uh, these include my friends back from high school or in university in Singapore right now. I would start from there and actually from here it's already a very large number of people. I would say more than enough already to form a very core group of activists for organization. And once I have like a group of people who are committed to this process, I would say about 20 or 30 people or maybe even lesser than that. Um, I would use this is where it gets more difficult because uh, I would need to assess important people in the government or important people in policy making cabinets and that can be a little bit tricky in Singapore where basically political dissent is very censored and very heavily suppressed in, in terms of migrant um, immigration policies where do you see the discrepancies um, that is affecting migrant workers, specifically uh, those that are, you know, caregivers in in Singapore. And perhaps you might you might just want to speak to you know what that means in the context of Canada too. You know, are there are there, are there differences in immigration policy um, for immigrant workers, and and what does that mean in, in, in connection to that? I mean, even specifically for Canada. Yeah, uh, that's actually a very interesting question. And after hearing that, I'm actually thinking about the way that the feminist movement in both countries actually frame their migrant workers. Because in both Singapore and Canada, I'm aware that feminist organizations actually use the female migrant workers who work in care as a very heavy anchor for framing their concerns. So in both places, we find that um, there's a challenge towards the idea that women should be doing reproductive work or that, or that care work should be performed by females only. Because in the case of Singapore, where caregivers are concerned, it's really almost an exclusively female population. And in terms of the institutional nurses that are employed in Victoria as well, I'm aware that the gender imbalance is also very heavy. And I find what is important is to look at the differences in both countries, but also how they are similar. So in terms of the differences, I find that Canada in general is maybe perhaps a little bit more open towards extending rights to foreign workers. So in Singapore, they are actually banned from 
establishing any routes whatsoever to the country. Every six months, they have to go through compulsory medical checks. And if they're pregnant, they're immediately deported. And em- employers here have to pay all sorts of security deposits or levies to have a foreign worker in their homes. And basically, the idea of human rights doesn't really apply to foreign migrants in Singapore, which is where I think Canada does better. But in the larger picture, I think it's very important to question that, you know, maybe Canada is more hypocritical than they would like people to believe because in the end, you have the living requirement, which is common everywhere. So basically, foreign workers have to live in employers' homes 24-7 and efforts to have regular working hours, for example, 9 to 5, have failed everywhere. So... And cases of abuse in terms of um, whether it's sexual abuse or worker rights abuse, it's very common in both places as well. And the surprising thing is that female employers themselves, especially middle class to upper class female employers, they frame foreign migrant workers in very degrading ways, in ways that I feel is very harmful to feminist politics. Interesting. So... um how would you relate yourself to this work that you're doing? Um, what's what's that personal anchor, the personal connection to this? The personal anchor for me as a feminist political organizer in Singapore would be to kind of question the aims of the movement itself. So I'm not specifically talking about Victoria here, but in terms of how I connect to my own work, um, Singapore has one and only one feminist movement and we don't actually call it a feminist movement, we call it a women's rights movement because feminists in Singapore are very hesitant to use that category because there are very negative connotations around what that means. In terms of a very white feminism or being very exclusionary, uh, and we're talking about white women talking about women of colour in very degrading ways, which is something that Singapore feminists are very well aware of. So in terms of my own position to this research, I would find that it's not just the colonial aspect of it in terms of white feminists questioning whether we really have feminism, but also in terms of the class aspect of it, because personally I come from a very privileged background actually, and it's very easy to think that I can speak for other women about what they need or what they are lacking in their life or the fact that maybe they are not sensible enough to know what is good for them, which is a very common way of talking about women who are less fortunate than women like me. Um, So I would feel that my own role in Singapore is actually to in terms of getting people to reflect on their own beliefs and ideas because I have a lot of friends and family in my in my network who actually have a very simple view of what feminist politics should look like or what human rights can look like. They end up going back to the idea of being Singaporean or being developed enough or being successful enough to have made it so that you can buy everything you need. And the idea is that we need to help this woman to buy what they don't yet have. And my question would be, well, what makes you think that the idea of buying things is actually that appealing to everyone? Because I'm aware that many women have very different ideas of 
what a good life should look like. So my own role would be to kind of question my own beliefs, also having conversations with other people in wider community to get themselves to think about these. Interesting. So you would, earlier on, you, you mentioned the fact that you've organized, and, and, I, and if I did get it wrong, please uh, 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 pardon me, um, but I have a sense that you've organized, um, you know, you've done something similar to this before. You Perhaps you've organized um, uh, workers to have conversations around social justice issues or human rights or, or things that are very important to day-to-day -day human existence as, as really clamoring and fighting for the right to have rights, right? Yep. I wonder if you can just give us one or two examples of your previous work that you've done this before. Sure. Uh, so here I would be very interested to point out that the LGBTQ movement in Singapore, we have the Pink Dot movement, which I'm aware is also existing in Toronto and Vancouver and many other places in the world. I actually helped to organize the Pink Dot movement starting from, a f starting from when I left Singapore, actually. So back in high school, I started the first time and I've been doing it a few years now. And where foreign migrants come in is that the protest in Singapore actually does not allow foreign citizens or people who are not Singaporean citizens or permanent residents to enter the space. We call it the speaker's corner. It's a very public square in Singapore, who, which has a very strong historical meaning. But basically, when we have protests there, it means it's a national issue. It's a huge, huge thing that we want the world to see or whoever wants to report it to see. And basically, the struggle is I'm struggling to get foreign workers into the space because when, when we talk about LGBTQ rights, there's a lot of romanticizing around it or a lot of hype around it about how people have the right to have different sexualities or express different genders uh, or to be multi-spirited and all this is of course worth fighting for but in Singapore you have a tendency of uh, there's always issues of race and ethnicity and you find that people who are not Chinese who belong to other races because the Chinese are the dominant group in Singapore they somehow get framed in a way that maybe they don't they are not as deserving of the rights that Chinese should enjoy. And in terms of organizing the Pink Dot movement, foreign migrants are always a struggle to include because by law they are not allowed in the speaker's corner. And if they want to risk being involved, chances are they are going to get arrested. And if that happens, what will happen is they get deported immediately and it's like a very huge tarnish on their employment record. So you can be sure that chances of finding employment elsewhere are not very high. But what we have done so far or what I've helped to do in the past few years is find ways around the rules of organization to include them. So in 2018 for the Pink Dot movement, I actually made the idea of extending the protest to over two weekends instead of just one weekend. And what that helped to do is allow thousands more foreign migrant workers who wanted to participate, uh, they could do so because the original protest was scheduled at a time where not everyone could participate and the laws that the government put forward to organize only applied to the duration of the protest. So what I did was basically kind of make it a more informal 
event where I kind of extended, overextended the official duration to by a week so that all sorts of uh, workers or anyone who wanted to come really, they could just set up their things outside the picket line. And it actually helped a lot more people come together. And from there, I think we got a lot more people who would want to be involved in the 2019 movement as well, which I'm currently helping to do. Really thinking about your research and, and what that means to the people out there, what are the challenges that, um, so some of the challenges that you have faced or expect to face while you're doing this work? The challenges that I'm expecting to face, I would feel, actually there are a lot, but I would like to start with maybe the more formal aspect of it. So formally, the people, the number of people doing my kind of research are, are very small in number and it's actually a very hard to assess space because old folks homes or hospitals, charity homes in Singapore, they are very overstretched and understaffed and usually they don't have time to actually entertain researchers. So I'm looking at going in as a volunteer or as a social worker, which I've already done, and doing the so-called field work on the site. Uh, but it, it is also a challenge also because there are not many resources out there which can guide me for how to do this research because the number of academics in Singapore who have done this work are very few in number. And I've talked to them, but it's only, we're talking about two to three women only. And... Uh, I can consult other resources in Victoria. So, for example, Geraldine Pratt in at UBC, she's done a lot of work with Filipino caregivers and I've had a few email conversations with her. But to be honest, it's not the same as having someone who has done that work in Singapore. So I would say in terms of resources, there's not a lot. In terms of institutional access to the fieldwork setting, it's also pretty challenging. But what is lucky is that I have pretty good connections to that network in Singapore. So it is a challenge, but I feel that at the end of the day, I would still be able to talk to the people that I want to for the most part. And that's the more formal aspect. But in terms of the more personal aspect, I would say it's a very huge, it's a heavy burden on the heart as well, because the field work, I think, would be beyond depressing, really, because you have to watch situations where old people are being abandoned or being treated badly or when they tell you stories about how their children have not seen them for 10, 20 years or how they have just been thrown into the old folks' homes when actually they have been taking care of them selflessly throughout their childhood and then when their children reach a point where they are supposed to be taking care of their old parents, they actually very selfishly just throw them away. And I think that witnessing that time after time would actually take a toll on myself as well. But I think there are ways to cope with that, whether it's talking with friends or talking with my own family or talking with other people who have been through this. Uh, I think it can, be, it can be managed well. And I think it's also important because there's the human element of it. And yeah. Oh, wow. Thanks. That's... It's, it's really interesting to, to, to hear the, you know, the work that you're doing. How do you think your research would be, you know, would be helpful for us in thinking around these issues in Canada? 
Yeah, so I would say the larger issue for both Singapore and Canada is to go beyond a way of thinking nationally. But there's a very complex process to that, which I shall try to elaborate. In terms of the connections between elderly patients and migrant workers, both of them actually face a crisis of care, as we know, because the foreign workers who come over actually themselves have to employ nurses back home or women of who women who are more unfortunate back home so that they can work in Singapore and in Victoria. And as for the elderly, they are the ones who actually are at a stage in their life where they need to be cared for. And all of us are going to face that somehow. And in both Singapore and Canada, you have a situation where sometimes the caregivers themselves are also physically not that healthy or they themselves have have had some illnesses that need to be cared for and they can't really do that because they need to be working to support their own families back home. So how I see the elders and the care migrants as being united is that both of them actually work around concerns about the need to care for people because caring for family members is a duty that everyone in the world has and what our society has done is basically kind of import lower class people over to satisfy the needs of the higher class while not questioning that at all. And in terms of the connection between both countries, I feel that for both of us, the important thing here is to go beyond thinking the idea of is to go beyond the idea of being a Singaporean people or being a Canadian people because in terms of the real policy implications, it's very common to segregate those rights to people who are only citizens. And I feel that if we look at the chain of connection that unites us in terms of the labour importing and exporting, there's actually a lot that can actually bind us together because we are all united by the need to love and care for the people that we want to stay alive. So I feel that for both Singapore and Victoria, uh, the challenge is actually to see those connections between the elderly patients and migrants and to minimize the way of thinking nationalistically. Because when I've talked to many elderly patients in Singapore, a lot of them themselves also talk about foreign workers in very degrading ways and they themselves are faced by a crisis of care and the irony is that they don't realize that the people who are caring for them color and class aside actually are united by the very same concerns interesting well for the past uh, 30 minutes or so you've been listening to lean whose current research has been focusing and um, focuses on social discrimination of migrant workers in the elder care sector. Lin, are there last thoughts before we wrap this up that you want the listeners to know about your work or about your personal connection to what you're doing or about you know how you hope your work will unfold as you go forward with it? Any any thoughts, any anything you want to last thoughts you want to share? Last words? Yeah, thanks for that. I think the major what is really the most important to me in terms of my own society and also in Canada is to question the idea of being a developed society because we all know how countries are being talked about as developed or modern and then some are not so developed or less modern. Well, the way that is being framed is around the idea of how well people can buy things 
and in terms of my own society, we have a very Confucian heritage. In the first place, the fact that care services and caring for the elderly has become something that you need to buy to be able to get is actually a very depressing thing. And I feel that it's very important for me to question Singapore's status of success. And this is also very relevant to Canada because as a teaching assistant, as a research assistant, you see all kinds of literature and you meet students. And it's very common for people to kind of fall back on the idea of Canada as a liberal democracy or what we know as being democratic, where everyone is free and fair. And actually that's not really working as well as we think it is because rights of all sorts of people are being infringed in many ways and I feel that in terms of my own work foreign female foreign migrants who do the precious care work that we all need to survive uh, they are often not as recognized as they should be so I find that both Singapore and Victoria can kind of reflect on themselves. I'm talking about wider society in general and the fact that Singapore it Singapore themselves have come from a very colonial and capitalist background that we have actually failed to question because we have actually been more successful than the colonizers themselves at buying things and satisfying our material wants and we have used that as a way to argue that we have succeeded the most in Southeast Asia and I feel that that relates a lot to Canada's idea of being developed and it kind of goes back to the whole idea of the fact that everyone in the world should aspire towards modern or being or practices of modernity and the way that care is being framed as dirty or demeaning is very very related to that because the idea is that people should be able to just buy what they want so that they don't need to work as much and that would be the ideal state where the ideal state of maybe minimizing your working hours so that because you have enough capital to get what you want. And I find that for both Singapore and Canada, you really need to question that idea of being at the forefront of the world because the way of life and the way that we think we should live actually has lost a lot of moral underpinning. Well, thank you so much for really giving us uh, insight in, into your research. And, and I must say that you've provided a lot of you know, similarities between both countries. And I, I can't just wait to, to read um, you know, the result of your research. And hopefully one day you might even you know, come do that research in Canada, really making Canada or Victoria or whatever in Canada to be you know, your research you know, focus. Uh, on this note, I really want to say uh, uh, thank you so much, Lynn, for, for, for taking the time to share your research with us on Beyond the Jargon. Thanks for having me, Taiwo. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV 101.9 FM. For interviewees, contact information, or to listen to this episode again, visit cfuvpodcast.com. You can also subscribe, rate, or review Beyond the Jargon and other CFUV podcasts uh, wherever you get your podcasts.